You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. So I don't know if this is something specific just to my generation. Maybe it was a phenomenon during this little window when I was a child. Or maybe it's something that's been common throughout every generation. But I know at least my generation has created jokes and memes around this concept because it really was a big deal. Because when I was growing up, it was nearly impossible to escape at least the idea of quicksand. Every form of media seemed to have some sort of deep-seated fear of quicksand. It was in movies. It was in TV shows. It was in cartoons. It was in comic strips. It was in books. Any form of fictional media that was created during that time seemed to have at least one moment where somebody was wandering through the jungle or the desert or their neighborhood and just happened upon a giant pile of quicksand, which leads me to, I think, the most important question for my generation is what happened to all the quicksand? Because you grow up and then quicksand, I don't even know if it really exists. I did Google uh, the pictures of quicksand, and this one is not, I don't know what's happening there. It just looked like the most desperate one. But I did see pictures of people actually in quicksand. I guess it's some sort of thing that happens when there's a hole and then there's sand in it and then there's water with the sand and it makes it to where you can sink in. I don't know. I've never seen it, and I'm starting to believe that I never actually will. So whether this is true or not, I don't know. I didn't want to do any deeper research with it. But in all of the things that I learned while growing up is that if you do find yourself in quicksand, then you should not panic, which seems like the opposite thing that should happen. Because if you were in quicksand, they made it out to be a very scary thing. And usually every sign that was leading you toward quicksand had a skull and crossbones on it because quicksand is very dangerous. But the idea is you get in quicksand and you are still as possible. Because if you panic, if you move, if you move your body, it starts to shift the sands and you can sink faster and faster and faster. But if you stay still and relax, then you sink more slowly and it gives time for people to come and to rescue you. And I started thinking, well, if quicksand is not a regular part of my life, but it was in all of this stuff that I consumed, then maybe quicksand was just a little more of a metaphor than an actual fear. Maybe they were just trying to teach an increasingly anxious generation, right? As things grow older and older, as as life becomes more comfortable and more easy, and we become a little more on edge because of that, maybe they were just trying to teach us when bad things happen, maybe take a breath, maybe chill out, maybe relax a little bit. And that seems to be the place from where the teacher is coming in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Because speaking very broadly, and I know that can be a dangerous thing to do, but speaking very broadly as human beings, but especially as human beings living in a world, in a society, in a culture, at least for us, that is becoming more and more comfortable, we have an intolerance to discomfort. We have an intolerance to pain. We have an intolerance to uncomfortable situations. But really, this has been a problem as long as there have been people in uncomfortable, painful, or difficult situations. And our natural inclination is to try to escape it by whatever means possible. 
And so that's where we get in that fight or flight kind of response where we're either going to panic or we're going to try to fight our way out of it or we're going to try to escape it as soon as possible because we don't want to feel bad and we want to cut that feeling off as quickly as we possibly can. But generally speaking, that kind of response tends to make it worse. And so the teacher comes in in Ecclesiastes 3 with a different take on this idea of difficult times, but also how to navigate times that are good. And recognizing that the seasons of this life, whether good or bad, is something that's completely out of our control. And at one time or another, we're going to find ourselves in a season that we want to escape, and it won't be possible. And while the teacher has some of his ideas on how to navigate through these things, I think more than anything, this passage is designed and meant to point us to Christ, who teaches us to better, a better way to live in a life filled with seasons of ups and downs, highs and lows, goods and bads. And so let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this morning. And it's a long read, but we're going to go all the way through. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pick up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all return. And we missed that verse in Ash Wednesday by like one week. (laughs) Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. 
Who can bring him to see what will be after him? May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, as we navigate difficult seasons and times, we are just so humbled by our inability to do anything about them. It's overwhelming at times. It's confusing at times. Sometimes because seasons we wish would last a lifetime only last but a moment, and sometimes because seasons that we wish would end in a breath become part of our lives as a whole. But God, help us to look past the seasons and to search after the heart of the one that controls them. Help us to look past the bleakness or even the gain that this world has to offer and look to Jesus who answers the question the teacher couldn't and has given us a promise that goes beyond this life. And so, Father, we just ask and pray that you teach us through your word, that you would help us to bear these seasons with gospel hearts, eyes, and minds. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So talking about seasons, oh, and could you jump over to the computer for me, man? Sorry. Talking about seasons, I feel like it's a really fitting thing to be thinking about this in the midst of February, which is a month that kind of doesn't feel like it belongs to a season. So last week, I feel like there was a day that was somewhere around 78, and then this morning when I woke up, it was 29 degrees. And I don't understand how that works. And it makes it very hard to be able to navigate anything or to figure anything out. How do we even know what kind of clothes we're supposed to wear? And if you are a person who has a favorite season, sometimes Georgia seasons can be really difficult because you just never really know what's coming up or what's going down. Sometimes our winters don't even exist, and sometimes they can last forever. But maybe you're the kind of person who, after a certain amount of cold weather, after a certain amount of just being frigid for week after week after week, you decide that enough is enough. You have been done being cold, and no matter what happens, you lay out your clothes for the next day, and you find your favorite pair of sandals that have been put up all week, all, all winter. You find your shorts, you find a tank top, and no matter what's happening the next day, you are going to go on protest against the season of winter because you've had enough. For me, it was usually summer, right? I used to do a hoodie rebellion about once a year where by the mid-September when it was still 90 degrees, I would just put a hoodie on no matter what, and I was going to go outside and make it fall. It never worked, and I did that because I'm a sweaty person, and that's really counterproductive when you are a sweaty person and you put on a sweatshirt in the middle of a very hot season, and so I would just be sad, but I might as well be sad because I wanted the season to end. I wanted the season to be over. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I put on my hoodie. It doesn't matter if you put on your sandals. If it's going to be cold the next day, it's going to be cold. If it's going to be hot the next day, it's going to be hot. And there is nothing that you can do about it. 
And that's a major theme of this particular poem that the teacher lays out here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That there are these seasons, not even talking about seasons with the climate and the weather, but the seasons of life that come and go. And these seasons are such a regular part of our life and nothing can be done to change it. He just goes through all these things. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Saying things like a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. He says all these things are just a natural part of life. These seasons are going to come and these seasons are going to go and you cannot change them. There's nothing you can do to expedite this process. And while that seems like a very bleak poem, it's actually something that the writer of Ecclesiastes finds quite beautiful. In fact, he says that directly here if we look on into verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, what gain has the worker in his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, and he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The teacher says all of these seasons exist. There's good ones and there's bad ones and there's everything in between. There's seasons where you're going to be working hard and seeing reward from your work. There's seasons where you're just going to be living and existing in complete and utter devastation. But these seasons matter and all of them are beautiful in their time. And you might not be able to figure out why they're happening. You might not be able to put all the pieces together and say, this is what God is doing in this season. But all of these seasons, according to the teacher, have inherent beauty. And he sees that beauty, not because he sees a time to kill as a beautiful thing or a time for war as a beautiful thing or a time for mourning as a beautiful thing, but because he sees the creator who guides the seasons to be beautiful. And he says all of these things were given by God. And because they were given by God, that's where they find their beauty. That's where they find their purpose. That's where they find their value. As we've been going through this book, I feel like this is a sermon series that God has been preaching to me for a while before we got here. And again, just taking a hyper-literal understanding of seasons, I did, for most of my life, hate summer because I am a sweaty person. And when it gets hot, especially in the Georgia heat, I get extra sweaty. It usually starts for me around February. Once it gets to about 75, 78 degrees, I am a very unhappy person because I'm just moist all of the time. And that's very uncomfortable for me personally. But then also I have to imagine that that's very uncomfortable for all the people around me. And depending on the day, it's very noticeable, right? My sweet little middle schoolers, they're so concerned with self-perception. And so when we're walking back and forth, especially when it gets hot, I'll usually have at least one every year that comes up to me and says, um... I just wanted you to know that like, you're kind of sweaty. And I didn't know if you wanted to. Like, I'm like, man, listen, I can't escape it. <laughs> it's just who I am. And that's just how it works. I remember when my brother got married, it was in Ju- uh, July, and we took pictures outside, right? And we were all standing there, and, you know, the family was kind of all together in line for the pictures. And the photographer stopped the production. And she said, uh, you, you're the, the brother of the groom, right? I was like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the brother of the groom. I'm also the best man, if you'd like to refer to me as that, too. And she said, that's, that's really great. That's really sweet. Can you go to the back of the group? Because there's no way I can Photoshop all of your sweat out of the picture. <laughs> and so I hate summer. 
And then it's also awkward for other people because I'm a hugger, right? I love you guys and I might hug you in the summer and then you just take a little bit of me with you wherever you go for the rest of the day. It's kind of a miserable experience. And so I would dread watching the temperatures rise. And a couple years ago, and I know this isn't a super deep thing necessarily. It's not a big life-changing thing, but I do believe there was something that God taught me about this. I was reading in Scripture, talking about the seasons changing, seeing the beauty of God's design and plan, and I realized that I need to learn to love summer. I need to learn to see the beauty in this thing that I hated because the God of winter and fall, the seasons that I like because I'm comfortable, is also the God of spring and summer, the the seasons that try to kill me in spring with my allergies, and then the season that tries to just make me a disgusting pariah on society because I'm so sweaty. And so I started looking for the beauty in the season that I hated, in the season that I was uncomfortable in. And I started to learn to love summer, not because of what summer is, but I learned to love summer because I love Jesus. And Jesus is the God of summer. And when we look at what the the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here, now this isn't just about positive thinking. I can't outthink my way into the feelings that I have about things that I hate or things that are uncomfortable for me. It's not about making a pros and cons list to try to convince ourselves that some of these things are actually good, but it's about learning to see every season as a part of a design of the God who created all things and is actively working all things to the good of those who love him. The God who takes one season to lay the foundation for the next. The God who, like we see in the book of Genesis, provided seven years of feast so that they could have seven years of famine where they were provided for. The God who is constantly working from one generation to the next, all through the Old Testament, to lay the groundwork for Jesus to bring salvation to the world. That God who governs those things so well is governing the seasons of our lives as well, too. And so it may be your time to be happy or your time to be sad. It may be your time to be thriving at work or feeling like you can't keep your head above water. It may be your time that at home, family life just seems like it's so perfect and everything is running like this beautiful, loving, fine-tuned machine. Or it may be a time when you feel like you're barely holding everything together. It may be your time to be healthy, or it may be your time to be sick. It may be your time to live, or it may be your time to die. But all of it, even that last one, is exactly that. It's just a time. It's just a season. And no matter how dark or how light, it's a season in God's beautiful design. And he's using this season in your life to fertilize the next. And it may not be time for you to know why. It may not be time for you to know how. But we can look past those big questions because God has rooted eternity in our hearts and trust the hands of the one that guides the future. And this may be an easy mentality during enjoyable seasons. Maybe we can put our mind in the right place when things are going well, because maybe we want to hold on to that, but we can start saying, you know what? God has given me this time. God has given me this blessing. God has given me this moment to prepare me for something that comes. And so I'm just going to bask in the goodness of it right now and take advantage of every minute because this might be fleeting and this might be gone. But in the times of bad seasons, In the times of the uncomfortable seasons, it's a much harder thing to do. Because when difficult and uncomfortable and painful seasons come about, 
We just want them to go away as quickly as possible. We don't want to experience anything unpleasant. We don't want to have to go through anything unpleasant. We don't want to have to do anything unpleasant any longer than we absolutely have to. And so we either try to run or try to fix the thing that's going on in our lives as quickly as we possibly can. And you can see how this works in some of the major industries in our culture, right? When you identify something that you don't like about yourself, something that you don't feel like matches up to what society deems to be right or appropriate, then you can start to say, all right, how do I fix this as quickly as possible? And there's an answer for it. If you don't feel like you have enough money in your bank account, you can hop on YouTube, you can hop on social media, you can walk down the bookstore, you can walk through the magazine aisle, and you can find hundreds and thousands of get-rich-quick ideas that if you just do this, if you just invest here, if you just put your money in this situation, in this place, if you just do these five simple things, then you can go from broke to balling in just five weeks. Maybe you think you're, you're too out of shape. Maybe you feel like you're carrying too much extra weight and so you think, oh, I need to get skinny and I need to get all this, this weight off of me. And so you start looking through all these things and you figure out, oh, all of these people have these amazing, amazing things that all I have to do is drink this one shake and then walk around my house three times every day for three minutes and pay them $29.99 and all of a sudden the pounds are just going to melt away. Or maybe you think I'm too skinny. I don't have enough muscle. I don't have enough strength. And all of those same people We'll tell you 10 simple steps. You work out five minutes a day. You don't have to go to the nasty gym. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You don't have to eat a certain kind of way. Five minutes a day, $50 a month, and this one little tool that we give you, and you can be jacked in no time, right? And so we're looking for these quick and easy solutions to these issues that we have that if they can be accomplished are not going to take days. They're not going to take weeks. They're going to take months, maybe years and still might not even be obtainable. And we have spiritual and emotional versions of this as well, where we just want to fix things as quickly as possible. I want to fix my marriage. I want to fix my job. I want to fix my situation. I want to fix my health. I feel far away from Jesus. I feel depressed. I feel anxious. We can put whatever it is that we want to put in that blank, but we just want to fix it as quickly as possible. And so pastors all over the country and Christian leaders all over the country are saying, if you just do these five things, then here's the spiritual answer to get everything that you need and escape the situation that you're in. Oh, you're hurting? Your faith is just too weak. You're not giving enough to the church. Your marriage is falling apart. Well, that's just because you need to come to this marriage conference for $500. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we will fix your marriage and wrap it around Jesus. We do the exact same thing in the church. Instead of teaching ourselves to persevere and endure, we just teach ourselves to try to run away and throw a Band-Aid over whatever problems may come. As Christians, we, generally speaking, have an endurance problem. And this is bad news because we will 100% guaranteed experience hard seasons. And hibernation or running away or just muscling through it might not be an option. Because you see all those times, things that people say that aren't actually in the Bible, and one of those is that God will never give you more than you can bear, and that is absolutely not true. In fact, everything in the New Testament lets us know that if you're a follower of Christ, you're pretty much going to be given more than you can bear on a regular basis. 
And so how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this doctrine of discomfort, knowing that difficult times will come, especially for those who put their faith and their hope in Jesus? I love the question asked in verse 21. As he's talking about just the futility of life, basically saying humanity, we're no different than the beasts. There's nothing that separates us. We die and we go to the ground. And then in verse 21, he asks this deep, amazing question saying, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? And the answer to that is we do. He didn't, not yet. Because remember, he's looking on the other side of that glass. He's looking with the expectation of what God is going to do. But now we get to turn our attentions back and look toward Christ. And we know the answer to this question. The teacher here resolves that the seasons are all we've got and we should just make the best of it. We don't know what happens after we die. We don't know what happens when all this falls apart. All you've been given, this is your lot in life, these seasons that God has provided for you. And so you might as well enjoy it to the best possible ability. But we have a better hope. We have a better resolution. We have a God who is taking these seasons that feel vain, that feel meaningless, that feel purposeless, and he, through the gospel, is redeeming those things and injecting meaning and purpose into them. Oh, and if you'd pull up the Hebrews chapter 6 for me. I love this passage because it comes on, a he on the heels of a very difficult passage. In the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews is talking about people who have fallen away from the faith. People who have fallen away from walking with the church. People who couldn't endure. And as he's talking about the believers there, he says, Though we speak in this way about those who came before, yet in your case, in the case of those who have been saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus, Beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises and I love the juxtaposition here because those who were described in the passage before this, who fell away, who fell out of fellowship with the faith, they were doing all the things that the Christians were doing. They were coming to church. They were taking communion. Some of them had even gone through the waters of baptism. They were living life in this community, but it didn't solve their problems. It didn't fix their difficulties. And they said, you know what? It didn't work. And they walked away to try to find something else. But the writer of Hebrews here says, no, no, no. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, for those of you who are enduring, for those of you who are walking with Christ through all of these seasons, who are working even though you're exhausted, who are pouring everything you have into this gospel work, it's not meaningless. And no, it doesn't fix all of your problems. No, it doesn't solve all of your issues. But God is not so unjust that he doesn't see what you're doing, see what you're going through, and is not using that for the furtherance of his kingdom. In the last 200 years in church history, we've developed this eschatology, especially here in America, 
this understanding of what happens when Christ returns again. That is just this idea that nothing that we do here matters. That the material stuff is temporary and bad, and one day Jesus is going to come and he's just going <clears> to <throat> just suck everybody away off into some beautiful ether somewhere out in the sky, and just everything else is going to burn and disappear. And that was born out of this discomfort with being uncomfortable. This hope that everything is just going to disappear and not going to matter and we'll just get to go away without having to endure any tribulation or hardship or difficulty. But the truth of what Christ is doing is so much better. Remember that prayer that we've already referenced when Jesus lays down and he prays for his disciples. He says, even though they're going to be hated, even though they're going to be persecuted, I don't want you to take them out of this, but I want you to leave them in the midst of it for your name's sake. And it's in that we're reminded that God sees our work. He sees our toil. He sees our suffering and our struggle. He sees all of the seasons in our lives, and they matter to God. They're not purposeless. They're not empty. They're not just going to disappear out into nowhere one day. We're not going to live our lives and struggle and toil all for nothing. Because God looks at us, and he sees us, and he knows us, and he watches what we're doing. But even more than that, he gives our work deeper meaning and purpose. James talks about this at the beginning of his letter. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And James reminds us there that even the hard seasons, God is using those things to equip us and to lead us and to guide us into eternity, but also making us fit to be able to be good ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even when the hard seasons come, even when the difficult things happen in our lives, even when our work is hard and backbreaking and exhausting and it feels like it's not making any kind of a difference at all, we as followers of Jesus can endure with confidence, work with passion, and give all we have until that final season changes. When Jesus comes not to make all of it disappear and meaningless, but he comes to bring full redemption and restoration to his world and his church and to show us once and for all how all of it mattered as he used us so that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And this kind of mentality can change everything about how we live, even down to how we pray. Because usually at least in my life, I won't speak for all of you, but when a season comes along that I don't like, when something happens that brings me pain, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental, my first prayer is, God, why is this happening? And can you please just make it stop? We pray for an escape. But instead, because of the gospel, we're called to simply look to Jesus. Does that mean we can't pray for our situation to end or for our seasons to change? Not at all. 
We know that even Jesus did that. We know that Paul did that as Jesus knelt and prayed, God, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, if there's any other season that we can enact here so that I don't have to go through the pain and agony and loneliness of the cross, then please let this cup pass for me. Paul knelt before God and he says, God, I've got this thorn in my flesh and it's causing me great pain. It's causing me brokenness in my life. Please, God, remove this thorn from my flesh and remove this pain from my life. But the cup remained and the thorn remained. And the answer that God gave to Paul is the one that he still gives to us. In the times when he's not changing the seasons, he looks and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And we have these promises in Scripture all the way back in Psalms where the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And Jesus roots that promise in the life of his believers saying, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. Those disciples that he wanted to leave behind in the mess and the brokenness and the persecution to be ambassadors of God's reconciliation. He says, don't worry, you're not going to be alone because I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I'm giving you a helper in the Holy Spirit to encourage you, lead you, guide you, and even speak for you when you don't have the power to speak for yourself. And so in the hard seasons, maybe God will change them. Or maybe that winter will last a little bit longer. But you don't have to escape. He is with you. And he's given you all you need to endure and even thrive for the kingdom. You hear the phrase all the time that you can't pour out of an empty glass. That's not true in the life of a believer. Because there's no such thing as a believer with an empty glass. Lamentation says that God's mercies are new every morning, that his grace is sufficient for us, that he fills us and strengthens us and guides us and gives us everything we need for gospel work and gospel ministry. And so, yeah, you may be tired, we may be broken, we may be hurting, we may find joy really hard to capture and grab a hold of, but God is still walking with us. Jesus is still strengthening us through the gospel. As we come to the table, we are reminded that everything we have and everything we need for gospel work has been provided to us by God. God. And so even when we're tired, hurting, broken, and overwhelmed, we can still struggle for the gospel, proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus, and know that even in those moments where it feels futile and wasted and messy and not very good, that God is working in and through us and is able to accomplish more than we could ever imagine if we just are the kind of people who are willing to endure and persevere for his name's sake. So definitely try to see the beauty in every season. But when it's hard to see that beauty, know that the God of the seasons can give you strength through the gospel to endure whatever may come. And let's quit trying to be so quick to escape and learn to move in the rhythms of God's seasons and take each one as an opportunity to grow in the gospel and go out for the gospel and see his kingdom come on earth as is in heaven until that day when Christ comes again to make everything right and everything new and we will receive that promised rest that God is giving us.